I would like to to be talking today about uh, Revelation chapter 7. Please turn there in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 7. And we will be meditating on verses 9 and 10. Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. This is the word of God. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Let's have a short word of prayer. Dear Father, we come before you this afternoon praying that you will bless us, Lord. We need you so much. And as we open your word, we acknowledge that we are nothing, Lord. We cannot understand your word properly without the help of your spirit. So we pray that you will send your spirit abundantly upon us so that we can understand these words and so that these words will sink in into our hearts, Lord, and change our lives. Please do that. We cannot do it ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I would like to call your attention to a reality that I know I won't be able to describe properly. I would like to take your minds to heavenly places. In Colossians 3.1, the Holy Spirit commands us to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And in his mercy, God has not left us to guess as to what things look like in heaven. He has given us passages like the one we have in front of us today so that we can indeed set our minds there. But we often fail to, to give them due attention. At least I know I fail. When you and I don't think enough about heaven, our spiritual eyesight starts failing us. We start valuing things according to the standards of the world and forget about eternity. And this has dire consequences for our spiritual life in general and for our prayer life in particular. So, Let's dive into this passage immediately. There are four truths here about heaven that I would love to impress in your and my heart forever. The first one is that the saved will be a multitude that nobody will be able to number. Look with me at verse 9. It says, After this I beheld a law a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. John the Apostle is telling us what he saw. And it was a multitude. Dear brother or sister, what comes to your mind when you think about the word multitude? Maybe you remember a time you went to a stadium and you saw many people there. Maybe you remember the Super Bowl 
or a large demonstration that took, that took place in your country. Thousands and thousands of people coming together. They are excited. They are loud. And you feel like nothing when you are in the midst of them. You get lost in the crowd, swimming in an ocean of people. Just try to imagine the largest crowd you have ever seen. You know what? That multitude you are seeing in your mind right now is nothing in comparison. Nothing in comparison to the multitude that we find here in our text. John says it was a great multitude which no man could number. All those large crowds I mentioned can be numbered, but this one cannot. You can walk among them for hours and you will keep finding new people from every possible background and ethnicity. You can get in the middle of this crowd and walk north, south, east, and west, and you will find it larger than the largest city on earth. It is a vast, vast multitude. Who are these people? They are the redeemed. They are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is the church triumphant, made out of all the monuments of grace that God has saved throughout history. Do you see the wonder of this? I don't know about you, but Satan and my flesh often try to discourage me. And, and many times they are successful. One of the things they say is that the church is small and will always be small. That is just a lie. There is a multitude, a vast multitude of Christians. And that multitude will keep growing till the very end. Jesus died to redeem a great multitude. And one day we will see it in astonishment. Don't ever forget that, my brethren. The second truth is that all the saved will be clothed with white robes. Look with me at verse 9 again. After this, I beheld a low, a great multitude, which no man could number. And then after a while, it says, clothed with white robes. When I think about white, its opposite, which is blank, also comes to my mind. Not only, not only black, but also the whole idea of pollution. And that is so because I know that white things don't remain, don't remain white for too long here on earth. Sooner or later, they get dirty. And that is a good metaphor for what this world is like, spiritually speaking. Nothing is perfect here. Nobody is perfect here. We are all polluted by sin. Just look around. Why are we even here praying for revival? Isn't it because we know there is sin in us, sin in our families, sin in the church and sin in the world? Isn't it because our hearts break as we see coldness regarding the things of God? We want to see remaining sin subdued, scandalous sins repented of, and the sins of our nations abandoned. 
Sin is so frustrating. Sin is the only thing that can really prevent Christians from having joy in the Lord. If it wasn't for sin, how perfectly happy we would be. But sin is a sad, sad reality that we encounter here every day, every, every day, everywhere. That is why this text is so sweet. Brethren, do you see? There is no sin in heaven. There is no pollution in heaven. All the saints there, all the saints are clothed in white robes in the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ. Those robes will never get dirty. Sin will be no more. Sin will be destroyed by the amazing grace of God. So don't forget this. As you look around and look inside and see that sin that makes your heart ache for revival, remember heaven. Remember that all the saints there are clothed in white robes. God will not allow for that deep desire for perfect purity that he himself put in us to go unfulfilled forever. He won't. The third truth is that all the saved are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in heaven. Please look with me at verse 9 once again. It says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. And then after a while it says, Stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Here is a very rich reference to the Feast of Tabernacles that we might pass by if we don't stop to meditate on this passage. You see, the members of this multitude have palms in their hands. And this reminds us of the language used in Leviticus 23.40. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. The Israelites were supposed to use those branches to build tents where they would live for seven days. And the Lord said that the purpose was that their generations, quote, may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God, end quote. That feast was meant to be a perpetual reminder of the faithfulness that God had shown to his people in the wilderness. And we, we, we find the same imagery here in heaven. Dear brethren, you know, life is difficult. Life is often disappointing and bitter. Life is dangerous. Life is a wilderness for us Christians. There are so many things that could go wrong. There are so many temptations that could ruin us. There are so many ill-intentioned people. There are so many wicked agendas that would love to destroy the church and the children of the church. There is the devil, there are demons, 
that thirst after our blood. There are persecutors. There are distractions. There are bitter falls. There is sin. Oh, this is a wilderness. This is not our home. This is a wilderness. But you know what? All the saints in heaven have, have palms in their hands. They are celebrating the fact that even though they had to go through such an inhospitable place, the Lord proved faithful. Every single promise was fulfilled. Salvation was attained, not because the saints were so strong, but because their God was so strong. Not because the saints were so faithful, but because their God was so faithful that he wouldn't let them go. And he even gave his dear son to die for them on the cross. Oh, yes, these saints went through a great tribulation. But guess what? God was greater than all their tribulations. Dear brother, dear sister, beloved in the Lord, I don't know what this wilderness looks like in your case, but take heart. You will have palms in your hands. And one day you will look at all the bitterness and all the lacks that you experience in the journey and heaven will be all the sweeter. You will be thankful. You will rejoice in the Lord. You will see his hand. You will understand what you don't understand right now. Finally, all the saved will worship the Father and the Son at the top of their lungs. Please look with me at verse 10. And cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Look at this multitude again. Can you see their happiness? Can you see their thankfulness? Do you see any expression of pride in them? Oh no, there is no pride there. Not even a little bit. Nobody's boasting. Nobody's looking at himself. All their eyes are fixed on the one that sitteth upon the throne and on the Lamb. They waited for so long to see this glorious vision. And now they finally get to see the Redeemer face to face. What are they doing now? They cannot refrain themselves. They are so full of gratitude. They are so overwhelmed by the grace they have been given. That they cry out with a loud voice. This crowd is a thousand times louder than any stadium, than any concert. What are they crying? They are crying salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. They are giving all the glory to our dear triune God, who is the only reason they are there. Oh, the blessedness the triumphant church is already experiencing. Oh, the blessedness that you and I will experience. What glory. Now, what does all of this mean for you and me as we pray for revival today? It means the answer 
to our prayers is sure. Brethren, when you pray for multitudes to be converted and bow the knee before Jesus, isn't that petition in agreement with this passage? Look at this text. A great multitude will stand before the throne. It will happen. No doubt about that. And when you pray for churches to be pure, for saints to be awakened, for sin to be forsaken, aren't you asking for the son to present his pure bride in white robes before his father? That will happen. It will truly happen. And when you pray for our many countries to know the power of God, aren't you praying for that multitude to include saints of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues? That will happen. It will happen. We are not here to try to give God a new idea. We are praying because we believe Prayer is a channel through which he will fulfill his eternal purpose. And what a glorious purpose that is. And what a privilege it is to be instruments in this plan. So as we keep praying, let's not forget heaven. Let's not forget we are asking God to do what he said he would do. Amen.